This is the Immigration Conversation presented by Fragman, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world. We'll bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. So, hello everyone, and welcome to our next edition of the Immigration Conversation. I'm Julia Onslow-Cole. I'm a partner in our global government strategy and compliance team, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be hosting a conversation with Brian Friedman, who's the strategy director of Benevo and the host from View from the Top. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Brian for many years and, and knowing Brian very well, and also working with him on View from the Top, which has become a very um, important uh, show for many global mobility professionals um, during the pandemic. And I'm really um, thrilled to start by asking Brian a little bit about his background, which is what he does every week when he starts talking to the guests on the programme. So, Brian, can you give us an, an insight into your background, how you've become involved in the world of mobility? Well, thanks, Julia. And well, thank you for inviting me onto the, the podcast. It's it's great fun. It's, it's actually lovely, in a way, having the tables turned on, on, on me, because obviously I've been doing this quite a lot with a view from the top. My background is, uh, well, I've been in the mobility world a, a long time. My, my, my background is through, through tax. I was a, a, a tax partner at, at various firms, most lastly EY. And then I left EY uh, oh, back in 2007, and I set up a, a networking business called the Forum for Expatriate Management, or, or FEM, which, again, grew and I think is quite widely known in the industry. Uh, and then I, I sold that back in a, about 2013, thinking I was going to retire. I uh, started teaching at a business school, and then through that, I met the people who set up Benevo, and I thought, this is a really fascinating company. It's, it's a tech company doing new stuff in the mobility space. Uh, and so I came back out of retirement and, and joined up with the guys at Benevo. So I suppose that's me in a nutshell. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it has been a, an amazing time for the profession you know, through this uh, whole pandemic. And, you know, what do, what do you see as the biggest challenges that are now facing global mobility professionals in, in this current environment? Well, as you say, it's it's the biggest challenge. By Without doubt, it is the biggest challenge in our lifetimes, uh, in any of our lifetimes in, in mobility. And the challenges I see happened in, in various phases. There's the first challenge when when it all started, when the the lights went out in, in mobility back in, I suppose, March of, of 2020. Uh, and at that point, it was all about being in the wrong place. So people maybe wanting to go back home. Uh, and there was that level of immediate concern about how to move people around at a time when airports were closing, uh, barriers were going up around the world. So we had that period. The next phase, of course, was a level of personal panic what am I doing as a mobility professional when there's no mobility going on? And also concern about, just from a personal point of view, about one's own health. 
But we've come through that. And I think we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel now. There's good news about, about vaccines. People are learning to, uh, to adjust. So I think we're now moving into a whole new phase about how we get back to, to normal, whatever normal looks like. Uh, and as I look at that, I think there's, again, a couple of phases of that. The first phase is there'll be a backlog. There'll be people that have to be moved that maybe have been put on hold for uh, for a number of months. Uh, and there'll be a backlog with getting those through. And I'm sure you guys at Fragment are seeing a lot of those issues around just people wanting to get their visas and their work permits. And maybe there's backlogs at, at, um, at the various embassies and consulates around the world. But then I think we move beyond that. Uh, and we're then moving into an area of what does the new normal look like? Um, and what are the challenges there? Uh, and I'm sure we'll go into that in a bit more. But yeah, to me, that... but to, yeah, I was going to say, I, th I think there's there's two things going on in different ways. On the one hand, there's a concern from the corporates about cost. And on the other hand, there's a concern from the employee about well-being and health and safety and duty of care. And I, I yes. think we're going to see those two going in two different directions. Yes, yes. I I really agree with that. But before we get on to that, I think it'd be really interesting to hear what your views are about the levels of normality. Because when we started doing View from the Top and we were polling people, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, when we very start, much started, we were hearing people say, oh, we expect things to get be back to normal by September. And that was actually what I thought. And then as we're going further and further, then the date by which people thought, mobility would be some semblance of what it was pre the pandemic was pushed out further and further. So then there's been lots of conversations about, you know, do you think we're going to see much shorter term assignments, less longer term assignments? But what's your prediction for the future? When do you think we might get back to normal? And what do you think about the types of assignments that we're going to see, which will be more typical for the future? I don't think we're ever going to get back to normal because I think that the world has changed, that this is a, a world-changing event and there will be, I know it's a bit trite now, there will be a new normal. Uh, and let me just delve into that a, a little bit in, term, in terms of what I mean. Uh, first of all, we, we can talk about working from home or working from anywhere and the way, the way people operate, the way cities operate uh, I think is fundamentally different now, and, and we're seeing that uh, around the world. I did a poll on LinkedIn a few weeks ago, and it's it's it, it went viral. It's the most viral poll I, I've ever done. I think so far it's had fifty thousand views. And the question was, uh, where do you want to to work uh, from home, from office, or both? And I think it was only eighteen percent said they wanted to work from the office. And the vast majority of people said they wanted to work from both. And I think that is going to be part of the new normal, is the people just won't be going into offices in the same way. And companies are going to adjust to that. Uh, they're going to adjust by, you know, from a positive point of view, I suppose, uh, paying less rent. Uh, and, we, and we're beginning to see a hollowing out of, of cities. And I, I think this is going to be the era of the suburbs. And the, and the era of the small town. So we're going to see those sorts of things happening in this, in this new normal. Uh, in terms of people moving for their jobs, uh, I think we're going to see far less business travel. 
the fact is that everybody uh, is using uh, social conferencing, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or what have you. Everybody is using that. Uh, and it's interesting, it's not just people at work, of course, it's parents, grandparents, uh, you know, the whole world is, is using it. Uh, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And I think the necessity of this pandemic has, read, has led to lots of inventions and innovations. So I think short-term travel will stay down for a considerable period of time. Uh, and maybe, as I said, forever, we, we won't get the levels of business travel we saw. What we will see, though, coming back quicker, I believe, are longer-term assignments where people go because they have to be in country to do a, a job. So I think they will come back much, much quicker uh, and it's the it's the business travel which I think will be the the short term hit. So it will be the long term yeah. hit. Yeah, that's really interesting. You say that. I mean, it's also obviously a really pertinent point about remote working. Um, but we've heard a lot of companies express concern about remote working, and for all the benefits, there seems to be um, a lot of negatives. What what is your view about remote working? I mean, about the hurdles that there are there and how they can be overcome. There's certainly a lot of hurdles. I mean, in the very short term, it was easy with the technology for everybody to work from home. And, and whether you're uh, you know, a law firm or a professional services firm or you know, in most industries, it was possible to work from home. Obviously, there's some industries like, say, construction or uh, where it's manufacturing, where it's much harder to work from home. But in many cases, there has been a lot of working from home. That works in the short term. But what you lose is the culture of the organization. You also lose the next generation of the organization. Well, you know, it's all right for, if you like, the older hands who know everybody in the organization to work from home. But the new people, the interns, the young graduates, uh, it's much harder for them. And they are, of course, the future. So I think the idea of everybody working from home is not going to happen in the, in the long term for large companies. Small companies may be able to manage it, but large companies, I think it's unlikely. Mm. So there will be some level of balance of, uh, of both, of work from home and going into the office. Uh, yeah. The, the challenge, though, I'd say, is that people looking at it thinking this is great fun are working on the assumption they can, de they can determine which of the days they spend in office and which of the days that they spend at home. Well, I've got a yes. feeling the way it may pan out is that you can work from anywhere, but you'll be told which days you need to be in the office. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there's a lot of concern about the regulatory requirements, you know, the tax, the immigration, employment law issues we're seeing coming up. So, you Absolutely. know, I think we we have we have seen that perhaps the regulatory landscape is not as good as it should be, or is not as developed as it should be, and we'll have to develop very quickly to kind of support that level of remote working. Do you think that's right? One hundred percent. I mean, there's two levels of work from home, isn't there? There's work from home when your home is you know, nearby, within striking distance of the office, where presumably there won't be a major tax or regulatory issue uh, then of course there's work from anywhere where you're working either in a different state or in a different in a different country 
And that's where we get all the barriers. And I think they've been well rehearsed. We've got, uh, we can have regulation problems, immigration problems, we can have uh, income tax problems, we can have permanent establishment problems. Uh, my gut feeling is that organisations will find a way to, a, to adjust to that over time. Um, they'll find ways of ensuring that if you're in a foreign location, it's done so that you don't create a permanent establishment, uh, that if there's an income tax liability, you're alerted to it. And if the, and that's a matter of personal choice whether you want that income tax liability. I've got a feeling that within reason, HR people, whilst they might have to be alert to it, will find a solution. Uh, I think yeah. the bigger challenge is from an employer's point of view, they may find that employees are not willing to work for them if they cannot work from home. So we may yeah. find that, that, t that talent is driving the agenda. Yeah, I think it's very interesting as well, all these remote working um, immigration categories that are springing up. You know, even Iceland had one last week. You know, so lots and lots of countries are trying to do that. And even Dubai, you know, has a really good remote working um, program and then it is also trying to change their legal landscape to make it more attractive for assignees. That's actually something that I think is quite an interesting issue, which is after the pandemic, we seem to have a split between those countries that are trying to use the pandemic to actually attract more talent to their countries and those that are putting in quite restrictive um, policies. And that dichotomy of countries that are wanting to attract people and then countries that are being a bit more concerned about their own um, population is making the landscape really difficult for employers. And therefore, how do you think that that translates to the global mobility professional when they've got to look at the landscape advise on all the changing regulations, advise on quarantine safety. How do you think that that changes the job of, of global mobility professionals? I think mobility professionals have got quite a difficult job because they, their job is always to manage mobility. But at the same time, in their life, they're citizens of their own country and have got their own political views within that country. And the problem we face, of course, is that the value system of your corporation and the value system of your country may not be the same. So your corporation wants to manage things as effectively as possible, pay as little tax as it reasonably can, whereas your country's, look, your country's value system is all about maximizing the tax take for that, that country and protecting its citizens. So we've got these two completely different conflicting value systems and the mobility manager actually sits in the middle of that of that dichotomy. Uh, I think getting back to your, your, your point, I think there's two types of countries that are out there at the moment. There are those countries who are aiming to build walls, metaphorical real walls, uh, to protect their economies. And there are those countries who are looking to build bridges to enhance their economies. You know, one... A, a sort of model is trying to stop talent coming in and the other model is trying to encourage talent. Uh, and I think time will tell as to which of those models is going to be the most successful. Uh, I'm personally uh, much encouraged from the mobility point of view that the first vaccine to be announced to the, 
for the pandemic was actually developed by some Turkish immigrants into Germany. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that you know shows the the power of mobility and the power of migration yes. to to enhance the general good. Yes. Do you think that um, through the pandemic? Um, that as a profession, global mobility professionals have, um, you know, enjoyed a seat at the table, at the board table because of the pandemic. And and how should they maintain that seat now? I think mobility has always wanted to have that fabled seat at the table, and it's always been difficult. Uh, I think when the panic, pandemic hit, yes, um, there's a lot of companies that maybe didn't even, you know, the C-suite didn't even really know that mobility existed. I mean, they knew that people moved, but they just somehow thought it happened. They didn't really understand exactly what the day-to-day job of the mobility professional was. And all of a sudden, mobility got highlighted uh, and raised right up to the top of the organisation. So that has helped for for the short term, but but memories are are short. The question is, how do we use that as a profession? How do we leverage that to... Uh, to advantage. Uh, my answer is to f- focus on being more strategic. Uh, and I think the problem is that mobility people are so busy juggling balls in the air that they're throwing up five, six, seven balls in the air that it's, it's impossible to juggle them all without dropping some. So the answer to that is put some of the balls down, concentrate on doing less but doing the less better. So better to juggle with three balls than to drop seven. Yes. Uh, and, and let me sort of go into that and explain a, a bit more about, about what, I, what I mean by that, uh, is that the typical mobility professional is so busy with all the urgent stuff that they don't have time to do the stuff that's actually important. Uh, and my suggestion has always been with the urgent stuff, which isn't important, is outsource it either or or co-source it or insource it but get it off your desk so you can actually focus on the strategic stuff Uh, one of our guests on the view from the top made a really good point he said that at a time when they'd been much quieter because the 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 stuff wasn't going on the moves weren't going on he ensured that his team focused on all the strategically important stuff all the projects that needed to be done so he he used the time to 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 great advantage and what part what sort of part Will technology play in that? Because I think technology could be the answer to how you could get those things off your desk. Um, but, but technology in your vendors, or you know, but the actual idea of pushing some of the easier, more transactional stuff down and making it easier through technology, um, and then that leaves you time to concentrate on the strategy. Do you, do you think that that's a, a positive way forward for a lot of companies? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm the strategy director of Benevo, which is a technology company. So, technology is very much our, our bag and our, our passion and our belief. Uh, and I can see various ways in which technology can help make mobility more strategic. The first is it can take out some of the routine work and automate it, uh, and it can do that at a fraction of the cost and at a multiple of the the speed. Uh, so that's that's one one area where technology can really help. The other area, which is probably uh, even more important, is that technology can give insights. 
that if you can yes. manipulate the data you have, you can analyze the data, and we do this all the time at Beneva, but if you, can, if you can do that, then you can give the information to the mobility manager that they can wave to the CEO or the C-suite or the CHRO or CFO or whoever and say, this is how, these are the insights we've got, and this is how we can make it much more strategic. And I don't think that any mobility director can be truly strategic if they don't have the data to back them up. Yeah, uh, I do. I really agree with that. Yeah, I think the data analytics and the whole idea of what all data analytics plays in global mobility has become such an important topic. I think people in the past have had the data, but not quite known exactly how to interpret it or how to use it. But I think that's the secret as well, isn't it? How do you use that data that you do have now? Absolutely. I mean, it can be predictive data. So, for example, which assignments do we think are most likely to succeed? Well, we can analyze that out to say, you know, which ones are most likely to succeed. Conversely, of course, which ones are most likely to fail? Uh, where do we think we can get the best return on, on our investment? Uh, you know, moving which sorts of people to which place? Uh, in terms of talent development, uh, you know, th what uh, what is the likelihood of somebody reaching the C-suite if they've gone on assignment compared to if they haven't gone on assignment? You know, how does that experience help them grow the business? The data that we can get out of uh, out of the information that we have is is just immense, and the predictions, well. Frankly, I think we've only just started scraping the surface of, of, of what the predictions that, that this sort of intelligence can give us. Yes, that's really interesting. So I've got a couple more big questions to ask you. And one of them is, do you think that as a result of the pandemic, assignees expect a significant higher touch treatment? And I'm, I'm thinking about not just um, the treatment of themselves, but particularly, you know, how their dependents are treated um, and whether maybe this might be the end of the, the lump sum payment because of the need to give a higher level of treatment to assignees. Uh, well, I think there's various parts of that. I mean, the, the first part is that there is, I touched on it earlier, there is this uh, dichotomy that employees might be wanting a higher touch environment, but at the same time, uh, employers are going to find it much harder to do that because, let's face it, it's been a pretty rubbish year and profits are, are right down uh, and, and companies are not going to be looking to spend more money on delivering uh, a more white glove service. If anything, they're going to be looking to skinny things down. So what employees want and what employers want uh, are completely opposite. Uh, I think... What that does mean is that if we are going to offer a better service, we have to do that through technology. Uh, and again, that's where sort of a platform like mine would come in. But we have to offer a, a, a platform, a technology platform that gives that higher level of, uh, of service, but without the extra cost of the traditional white, white glove service. So I think that that is a really, really uh, import, important issue. Uh, the other side of that, of course, is duty of care. Uh, you know, employees might be reluctant to move and might be not just saying they want it, but they're saying they're, they're demanding it because of you know, con their own concerns. And, and conversely, the companies may feel they've, they've got to, to produce, produce it. That then comes into this question of lump sum that you touched on. Uh, and uh, 
we as a company are lump sum neutral, that we take the view that some companies want lump sum, other companies don't, some are adamantly opposed to it, some are big advocate, advocates of it. Uh, we're neutral on it. Uh, but there's no doubt that many employees, given the choice, would actually prefer a lump sum. Uh, I mean, the sort of solution we tend to talk about is lump sum, but within it, a base level of destination information through technology so that people get a bit of a bit of both. They get a bit of the white glove, but then they also get to determine how they can spend some of their own, their own allowances through the lump sum. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think as well, I think on, you know, on the idea that assignees will be expected to be looked after better, it does go to other things such as, um, you know, the rights of dependents to work in destination countries, because we've seen that as being a big factor in the success of assignments if dependents are happy and if dependents are able to work in different countries. So working through the Permits Foundation, I've seen, you know, interestingly enough, countries being those that are, are wanting to attract talent, being more open to um, those kind of policies, which I think, you know, are recruitive generally to happier assignees, more looked after assignees. Um, Absolutely. I mean, all the evidence shows that the single most determining factor for assignee failure is an unhappy dependent. Yeah. Above, yes. every, above everything else. I mean, yes. because the dependent actually has worse culture shock than the actual assignee. The assignee is working in an organization. They'll have friends in the organization. They'll have people looking after them. The dependent going there on their own without that infrastructure uh, and without the, the purpose of work, if they're not allowed to work, uh, that is almost a recipe for... Uh, for failure. Um, what what do you think about the role, the future role of um, relocation management industry? We've had a lot of people from the relocation sector interviewed on um, View from the Top, um, and obviously they've got a very important strategic role, but they've also had quite a tough time during the pandemic. What what do you think that their role will be in the future? Well, I think there's going to be consolidation in the industry. Uh, I think consolidation is coming uh, because of several forces. I think the volumes of traditional, what I call full fat assignments that we always always used to see uh, is going down in favour of shorter term and light, uh, light packages. Uh, I think... Also, from a relocation management point of view, uh, procurement is becoming stronger and is pushing uh, revenues down. Costs are going up because of uh, the need to deliver a, a more technology-based service and technology can be expensive to, uh, to, to develop. Uh, we've got the impact, of course, of the, of the pandemic in, in, in the sort of short to medium term. So all these factors are squeezing the profitability of RMCs. I think what, what that does mean is that the ones that survive will be the ones who are the most agile. And the ones who can't be agile, I think, will end up running for cover with others. So I think mergers are, are inevitable. Uh, but there will always be a role for both the very large players and the very niche players. 
I think it's the middle market that, that is going to struggle over the next two to three years, but the large and the niche are going to do very well. Mm. It's been really interesting talking to you, Brian, and you've got such a wealth of information. Um, just sort of finishing on a positive note, it's obviously been a really tough time over the last year for companies during the pandemic. And I think many people would say it's been, you know, had much, much more impact than the, the financial um, crash. I mean, where what you've really highlighted in lots of your answers in our conversation is that there's real, um, you know, prospects in the future for good global mobility solutions. Um, and I just wondered if you, in your final comments during our conversation, would just like to highlight a couple of those again. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we are seeing a, a shake-up uh, in the industry. But as I said, I think for those who are agile and those who realise that the game has changed, as I said, necessity is the mother of invention, they reinvent themselves, uh, I think there's, there's huge potential uh, I think we've talked about work from home or work from anywhere. I think there's going to be all sorts of issues surrounding that in terms of where the, the relocation industry can can help. I mean, one of the phrases I've heard recently is the word delocation. Uh, you know, how do you delocate people out of the corporate centre into wherever they want to work around around the country or indeed around the globe? So I think there's areas there. I think there is a huge opportunity for the mobility profession to become more strategic. Uh, and I think, you know, this has really driven that home. And the opportunity is there for those who want to grab that opportunity. And again, as I said earlier, the way to do that is to put down the, the urgent stuff that is not strategic and put it down either through technology or through outsourcing and then really focus in on the, on the strategic stuff. Uh, I believe that data is is the king. And the more that people can actually get that data, analyze that data, use that data, present that data, the more, again, I think mobility will become strategic. So I think there are lots of positives. But the secret in all this is that is to recognize that, uh, that the glass has been shattered. We're now in a new era. And you want to be one of the winners in that new era. And that's going to be all about agility. Thank you, Brian. It's been really great talking to you. And um, yes, and it's fantastic um, working with you on View from the Top. And thank you very much for this conversation. And, well, not at all. Thank, uh, and thank you, Julia, for, uh, for inviting me onto this show and indeed for being such a great guest every week on the View from the Top. The Immigration Conversation Podcast is presented by Fragment the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. This episode is current as of the date of recording. With frequent changes in global immigration, be sure to keep up to date by visiting our website at www.fragamin.com and subscribing to the Immigration Conversation on your favorite podcast service to hear the latest episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any listener and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the global immigration professional with whom you work at Fragamin.